you have a Bible with you, it would be helpful to have it open at the book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 14, but uh, don't worry if you don't, uh, you'll be able to follow on uh, in any case. But this evening we're going to be looking, uh, at least in a sense, at tithing. Uh, But before you switch off or start to get uncomfortable, uh, it's not going to be a normal sort of message on tithing. Um, There were various sorts of tithes in the Old Testament, and they all had various different purposes. And the one we're going to be looking at this evening had a very unique and special one. Uh, You can look at it in verse 22. Uh, Verse 22, God through Moses said, You shall surely tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. Uh, God instructed the Israelites that they were to take a tenth of their harvest, of what they produced in the year, and they were to give it to God. But what that means might come as a surprise to you. And before we get into that, there are just one or two things I need to make clear uh, about the Old Testament tithes, uh, just so it's very clear in our minds. Uh, The first thing to say is, uh, the laws that were given in the Old Testament... Uh, were given to the Israelites, uh, the ancient Israelites from many thousands of years ago. And not all of the commands that were given in the Old Testament apply to us living today. We are not ancient Israelites. We're not living in the promised land. Uh, There are many differences between us living today and the Israelites living then. Uh, There are many people, aren't there, who point to various verses in the Old Testament, uh, such as the command to not wear clothing of mixed fibres, and they point at Christians and say, well, you're not following that command, are you? Uh, Not understanding that the Bible isn't simply a list of rules. Uh, It's a book that progresses throughout history, and not every single command written in the Bible applies to everyone in the same way. Uh, So when we read about these tithes, uh, don't take it to be, this is a command that we must obey. We need to do more, but we need to be more thoughtful than that. And that leads on to the second reason why we need to be careful. And the second reason is because the New Testament uh, makes very, very clear that we are not under the ancient Jewish law. Uh, We are under a different... uh, The situation is different now that Christ has come. God gave the law all these many stipulations to the Israelites then, but it was all pointing forward to Christ. Uh, And in the New Testament, 
Our chief motivation isn't supposed to be law, it's supposed to be love. Uh, It's one thing to obey God because he says you have to. Uh, It's another thing to obey God because he has worked in your heart and transformed your heart to love him. That's why the New Testament says, he who loves has fulfilled the law. And that is the aim of the Bible. That is the, God's ultimate aim in our hearts. Not to give us law after law after law for us to obey, but to transform our hearts so that we obey the law, not because we have to, because there's a punishment coming down the line if we don't, but because we love him and we want to do what pleases God because we want to please him. Uh, so it's a very different relationship that believers have to the law uh, now than what uh, the Israelites knew at this time. Uh, All that is simply to say that just because you read a command in the Old Testament does not mean we have to obey it in the same way. But the Old Testament law does give us useful insight. Uh, It does teach us things about God. The God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament, and we can learn from the Old Testament law, which God gave them then, then, we can learn and get principles which will be of use to us living today. So what I'd like to do is look at this tithe, this uh, taking of a tenth that the Israelites would com- were commanded to do of their harvest in Deuteronomy chapter 14, and through that, help us to understand more the heart of God so that we might serve him better today. So let's do that. Uh, let's look at these verses and see what we can understand of the heart of God. Look again at verse 22. God says, you shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. Now, I wonder what an ancient Israelite would have thought when they first heard that command. Wouldn't surprise me if some of them thought, oh no, another law, another restriction, Another thing God is taking away from me. I've worked, I've labored for this harvest, and now God is saying I must give a tenth. And not just any tenth, the best tenth. That's what a tithe is. It's the best tenth. I must give that to God. And you can imagine them feeling uh, tired and frustrated at yet another stipulation. But look at what verse 23 says. Verse 23 says, And you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide, the tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil, of the firstborn of your herds and your flocks, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. Now, did you expect that? Did you hear what God said? He says, I want you to take a tenth 
of your produce, of your harvest, I want you to eat it. I want you to enjoy it. I want you and your family to enjoy the tenth of your harvest. Take it to the place where my name is. Later that would be Jerusalem, to the temple, and enjoy a tenth of your harvest. This is the first lesson we learn from this obscure Old Testament passage. God wants us to rejoice. God wants us to enjoy his good gifts. Uh, So many people today are tempted to think of God as uh, someone who kind of feeds off us. He needs our worship. He needs our goods. He needs our sacrifices. And he is constantly taking things from us. But that's not the picture the Bible paints of God. No, God showers blessings on us. He doesn't need anything from us. As one of the Psalms says, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the wealth in every mine. There's nothing you or I can give to God. Everything we have is a gift from God. And he wants us to enjoy his good gifts. Did you notice what it said in verse 24? God even makes provision for those who can't make the journey to Jerusalem carrying all their harvest. Look at verse 24. It says, But if the journey is too long for you, so you are not able to carry the tithe, or if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, when the Lord your God has blessed you, then you shall exchange it for money. Take the money in your hand and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses. He says to them, if you can't travel the way, the tenth of your harvest might be a a large amount. And perhaps you can't travel all the way to Jerusalem. In that case, sell your tithe, take the money, take that to Jerusalem. And then look what it says in verse 26. And you shall spend that money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep, for wine or similar drink, for whatever your heart desires, you shall eat there before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your household. God is so eager for people to rejoice that he says, if you can't make the journey with your tithe, sell the tithe, take the money and spend it on whatever you wish in Jerusalem and enjoy it. Rejoice, you and your household. God is not a cruel tyrant. He's a loving father who showers blessings on us and he wants us to enjoy him. Now, of course, uh, Jesus in the New Testament does give commands regarding self-denial. We are to take up our cross and follow him. But it's interesting, when you read Christ's commands, when he teaches us to deny ourselves, it's always so that we might enjoy greater blessing. Our problem is is that we sacrifice greater good for lesser goods. Uh, We think we're going to be made happy by a bigger car or a bigger house. And Jesus says, no, that's not the path to happiness. 
Uh, the path to happiness is found in God and being content with what he has given to us. There is greater joy in that. And Jesus is teaching us, don't be too confident that you know what will make you happiest. God knows what will make us most truly happy. This is the big problem in our society at the moment. You've got thousands, millions of people thinking they know what they need to make themselves happy. They think it's fame. They think it's a new partner. They think it's a uh, bigger house or a a larger car or whatever the thing might be. You can fill in the blank. And people are convinced they know what will make them happy. And Jesus says, no, listen to me, follow me, and you'll find life in all its fullness. And when you do that, you can start enjoying God's good gifts as they're supposed to be enjoyed. I remember someone once putting it succinctly, uh, and they said, the person who gives their life to drink not only ruins their life, but they actually lose their ability to enjoy drink as it should be enjoyed. Uh, The Bible does not condemn alcohol alcohol, uh, flat out. The Bible says all things can be enjoyed in moderation. The problem is we go too far. Again, food can be enjoyed in moderation. If you try to enjoy it too much, you'll make yourself sick. You'll make yourself unhealthy. God knows that there is a limit to true joy. We have to listen to him. But nevertheless, having said all of that, God wants us to enjoy his good gifts. There's nothing inherently spiritual about refusing the good things that God gives to us. Many religions think there is. Many religions think there's value in living on the top of a pillar somewhere or in a monastery and eating just a lentil bean every day or whatever it is. There's no benefit to that of itself. God wants us to enjoy his good gifts. And so that's the first lesson we learn here from this tithe that they were commanded to take. God wants us to rejoice and enjoy his good gifts gifts. But look, that isn't all he says. Look at verse 27. Uh, God says, you shall not, this is after he said, enjoy your tithe, but, verse 27, you shall not forsake the Levite who is within your gates, for he has no part nor inheritance with you. God says, enjoy the tithe, enjoy the abundance of your harvest, But do not forget the Levites. If you don't know, the Levites were one of the tribes of Israel, but they were unique because they didn't have land of their own. Uh, The other tribes, Judah, Zebulun, Issachar, Reuben, all the other tribes, they had land apportioned to them. But Levi didn't. They had a number of cities which belonged to them, 
but they had no land of their own. So they could not enjoy a tenth of their harvest because they did not have the fields and the land in order to have a harvest. So they were vulnerable. They were needy compared to the other Israelites. And God says to the other Israelites, to their brothers and sisters, do not forget the Levites. Do not forget the needy who are among you. Consider those in need. And this is the second point for us to consider. God wants us to rejoice. He wants us to enjoy his good gifts. But he wants us to rejoice together. He wants us to rejoice with others. He doesn't want us to forget, as we rejoice, the people who are needier than we are ourselves. Um, It's funny, isn't it, that for some reason we naturally tend to think that when we have something to enjoy, it's more enjoyable enjoyed alone. We somehow think, if I get something good, I want to hoard it to myself. I don't want to share it because that diminishes the joy and the enjoyment. I want to hoard it for myself. But that's the exact opposite of what the Bible teaches. What does the New Testament say? It's more blessed to give than to receive. A joy and a pleasure and Uh, A benefit shared isn't a benefit halved, it's a benefit duplicated. You are multiplying your joy if you share it with others. And God is saying to the Israelites here, when you rejoice, do not rejoice alone. Rejoice with others. Share your plenty with those who are in need, and then your rejoicing will be multiplied. You will be happier, if I can put it that way, than you would have been like a miser by yourself alone. That is the second lesson we learn from this tithe. Enjoy the good gifts God has given to us, but enjoy them together with others, those who are in need amongst us. For us, perhaps it isn't the Levite. It isn't the Levite. But we all know people who are less well-off than we are, who we can contribute and help and share with. And if we all do that, then there's no reason for anyone to be left out. So that's the second thing we learn, that we should rejoice together. But there's more to learn as well. Did you wonder, when God gave this command... Why did he say to them, you have to go to the place where my name is, uh, to the place that is Jerusalem or the temple, as it was later? Uh, If God wanted them to enjoy a tenth of their harvest, why didn't he just say, stay where you are, don't travel, put your feet up and enjoy what you have? Why did he say, you've got to make the journey to Jerusalem, Uh, even if they would have to sell their tithe and then take the money to Jerusalem, It was non-negotiable that they travel to the place where the Lord's presence was. And the reason for this is given in the passage. Uh, Did you notice what it says uh, in verse 
Uh, it's disappeared. <laughs> it always disappears when you look for it. Uh, yeah, in verse 26, uh, it says, You shall spend the money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep, or for wine or similar drink, for whatever your heart desires. You shall eat there before the Lord your God. You shall eat in front of the Lord your God. Uh, there's a phrase, a Latin phrase called Coram Deo. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it literally means before the face of God. And it's a phrase which theologians use to describe how we should all live our lives. Not hidden from God, not trying to keep things in our lives out of God's sight, which is impossible, but living openly before the face of God. Uh, someone put it this way. They said, this phrase literally refers to something that takes place in the presence of or before the face of God. To live Coram Deo is to live one's entire life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, to the glory of God. To live in the presence of God is to understand that whatever we are doing and wherever we are doing it, we are acting under the gaze of God. That's why God wanted them to travel to Jerusalem. He wanted them to know and to understand that they were to live their life under the gaze of God. Because God knew, as we ourselves today experience, that so often when we get good gifts given to us by God, we are so tempted to snatch the gift and forget the giver. We can so often enjoy what God gives to us that we forget all about him. Uh, look at verse 23. Uh, it says uh, at the end, uh, You shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide, the tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil, of the firstborn of your herds and your flocks, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. As they enjoy God's good gifts to them, God didn't want them to forget him. And this is the third thing that we learn from this passage. God wants us to rejoice in the good things he gives to us. He wants us to rejoice together with those who are in need, but he also wants us to rejoice together before the Lord so that we do not forget where the gifts come from. Uh, there's a later, uh, sorry, earlier in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, God said this very clearly, uh, or God spoke and Moses spoke to the people and Moses warned them and said, the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil, olive and honey, a land wherein you will eat bread without scarceness, where you will not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you may dig brass. When you have eaten and are full, then you will bless the Lord your God for the good land which he hath given you. Beware that you forget not the Lord your God 
in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command you this day. God says, beware. Don't forget me when you enjoy the wonderful things that I have given to you. And the New Testament repeats this teaching. Uh, In Paul's letter to Timothy, he gives a warning to Timothy. And he warns him that in the last days there will come people who forbid us to enjoy God's good gifts. Let me read how he puts it. This is, uh, I think it's 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 onwards. He says, Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Do you hear what Paul's saying there? He's saying there will come people who say, oh, you shouldn't get married. Or you shouldn't enjoy certain sorts of food or certain sorts of drinks. And there will be people who will make laws which God never made and they will start imposing them on believers. And Paul says, no, that's wrong. We should not forbid things which God has allowed. But at the same time, Paul says, the things which God does allow must be received with thanksgiving, for they are sanctified by the word of God in prayer. And what that simply means is that God's good gifts are good as long as we acknowledge him when we receive them. If we don't, then it's merely become another conduit for idolatry. We have to acknowledge him when we receive his good gifts. Enjoy them by all means, but do not forget him. And this is a very helpful principle uh, in many different areas of life. Uh, I think I shared recently when we were looking at the difference between lust and healthy desire. And the difference, put bluntly, is that lust is desire without a seatbelt. Living our life before the face of God is the seatbelt we all need. Uh, God wants us to enjoy his good gifts but within the boundaries he has given to us. He says, enjoy sex, but within marriage. Enjoy food, which God has given, but don't descend to gluttony. Uh, Enjoy drink as God has created it, but do not get drunk. God makes very clear how we are to enjoy these things and that is a gracious provision from God and as we live before the face of God we will not descend into lust we will stay safely in a glorious rejoicing in God's good gifts Uh, I think I've shared this illustration before but I find it helpful look at it this way Uh, imagine you're 
best holiday, the, the place you most want to go on holiday. Perhaps it's a, a beach somewhere and you're sitting on the beach with a drink in hand on a sun lounge or whatever. And for the first day, that's bliss. Uh, but imagine it for two days. Perhaps you say, well, that's not too bad. A week, perhaps you might enjoy that. Two weeks of sitting on that sun lounger, you might be starting to get a little bored. Now a month. How about a year? Pretty soon you'll be screaming. Pretty sure you'll want something different. What was before your greatest joy has become a miserable existence. Because that's not what we're made for. God has not created us for perpetual recreation, for constant holiday. There's a reason why God says, in six days do all your labor and rest on one. We're not designed to rest for six and work on one. Uh, The reason we can enjoy holidays is because they're not all the time. If Christmas was every day, you would not enjoy Christmas. We enjoy holidays because they come after periods of work. Holidays come after periods of work. And that's what it means to live our lives before the face of God, putting our desires in the right place. Not living on the basis of our own desires, but living on the basis of God and sacrificing our desires to his. And when we do that, We don't sacrifice our life. Actually, we find it. That's what Jesus meant when he said, he who loses his life for my sake, the same will find it. Trusting Christ is truly the best way to enjoy life. Not necessarily the easiest. Doesn't mean everything will be a bed of roses but you'll discover a joy which is unspeakable, a joy which is beyond all other understanding. And that is what this tithe teaches to us, the path to true rejoicing. So let's run through those three things again. This is how we rejoice. Firstly, we thank God for the good gifts he gives to us and we enjoy them. But we don't do that at the expense of others. We have to rejoice together and share what we have with those in need. And above all, we rejoice together before the Lord, listening to him and what he says so that we might enjoy things as they are supposed to be enjoyed. And that's how we enjoy the harvest and indeed how we enjoy any time of thanksgiving by putting God in the right place. And with those thoughts in mind, I've chosen as our final hymn, number 668. Uh, 668, and it's a hymn which is doing exactly that, putting God, putting Christ in the right place. 668, my Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. For thee, all the pleasures of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Saviour art thou. If ever I loved thee, my Jesus, tis now. So we'll close by singing 668. <laughs>